The Mandalorian Season 2 has just finished streaming on Disney+, Plus. but is this follow-up series The Way, or is it worthy of disintegration? I'm Mike. And I'm Darren. And this is Popscorn. the Final Entertainment Movie Review Podcast. It feels like a fucking age since we've done this. Uh, and today we're going to be reviewing all eight episodes of The Mandalorian Season 2, which is now streaming on Disney+. Plus. Uh, just a couple of days ago, actually, finished streaming the final episode. So very heavy spoilers if you've not seen Season 1. We will be talking about all of the things that happen in Season 1. And then, honestly, there's not many episodes in this series where we can't talk about it without talking about spoilers so honestly if you've not seen series two put this podcast down go and watch season two we're going to be talking about spoilers for every single episode and something major happened in all of those episodes ah it's going to be a good one darren i'm looking forward to this it is and i'm also very happy to announce that we didn't have to delay this review by about six months because we got it at the same time as America. Isn't that good? Because um, I've watched both episodes, both seasons of The Mandalorian in the same calendar year, which is pretty dope. Um, but yeah, we're slightly more timely with this one, which is good news. Um, so yeah, you're right. There is not a lot of ways to talk about this show without giving away pretty major changes to the status quo of both this show and the Star Wars franchise as a whole. So... Uh, yeah, if you if you haven't watched this yet, I don't know why you would watch a review anyway, but we're both giving it hearty recommendations, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Uh, undeniably brilliant recommendations. It is a surprisingly... Uh, how should I put it? The quality has consist, uh, pretty much been consistent from season one, in so much that all of them are great, apart from one Duff episode. But this series is a big reach for uh, Dave Filoni and John Favreau basically into their back pockets going oh you liked The Mandalorian did you maybe you'll enjoy all of the various other things we've done in Star Wars so yeah this is why it's going to have to be a big old spoiler alert up front please watch The Mandalorian season 2 it's very good this feels very much like say season 1 was Iron Man where it was kind of you know laying down some of the stuff that would come later this very much feels like the Iron Man 2 of just really cracking open the wider world of Star Wars and using this as a launch pad for several series, both obvious and otherwise. Um, including, like, some episodes that are just pilot episodes for other seasons, blatantly. Yep, pretty and much. I, and that is no way like a, um, a criticism. It's done very, very well for the most part. It doesn't ever feel, like, ham-fisted. Um, and it leaves it in such a way that you're intrigued to go and see these other series. Um, I think that's as big a compliment as I can give to, yeah, John Favreau and um, Dave Filoni, who have done a brilliant job of giving us all the stuff from Star Wars we wanted. Even the new, you know, film trilogy didn't really give us as much as this show seems to be able to do. No, it, it really does put the new trilogy to shame, and that's not us being old hat, sort of like, well, old hat Star Wars fans in so much that people use the term Star Wars fans as just an offhand for annoying incels on the internet. 
because that 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 is what it feels like it's like if you don't immediately love the new stuff then you are problematic i think what this series manages to do and has kind of proven much of the kind of the backlash from uh well the backlash to the back backlash from last year onwards is that turns out if you just make a really good show with characters you really care about doing things you want to see them do with a good handful of surprises it pleases everyone and this is what the franchise can be i would not be surprised if we we end up seeing feloni and favreau sort of heralding star wars a little bit more as we go forward i know that kathleen kennedy is still pretty much the top dog and yes she's probably largely responsible for getting people like patty jenkins in to do a rogue squadron movie mm-hmm. but right now this is the beating heart of star wars this is the bit that people actually give a shit about and that says a lot for something that can do that inside 16 episodes it become the definitive styles experience for this new generation hats off to them honestly and i think the reason why it succeeds as well as it does is because it has a very very strong emphasis of character and of clear motivations throughout like it's a much smaller cast than you're dealing with with like the film series really like you'll have like not so much monster of the week formula but like you know a character will usually only pop up for one episode maybe two outside of one or two are a bit more recurring than that um but there's never any real you know ambiguousness you've got with some of the character motivations in the in the new film series you never get a point that feels like a complete like out of character moment like you did with the kiss between uh ray and kylo at the end of rise of skywalker there's nothing in here like that because it is so airtight in what it is doing what it wants to achieve and how it's going to about achieving those goals and that's true i think of every episode this season i can't think of one that was bad there was maybe like there's definitely some lesser lights in here but that's always going to happen we've just eight episodes to do but i came away feeling just as satisfied as i did with the first season yeah uh, uh, to be fair i and we will talk about it in a moment i do i did think that last season had one duff episode and it it was the one where we were actually introduced to a lot of the things that happen in this series so in retrospect i can't even call it that bad anymore um but this season has one really like i just did not enjoy this one episode and unfortunately was directed by the same person that directed the finale which gave us pretty much everything we could ever want so six six one and a half dozen the other it's very much a swings and roundabout situation but we do recommend it let's stop stalling let's start by talking about uh season season one uh season two episode one uh otherwise known as chapter nine the marshal i really appreciate that they also kept the chapter numbers sequential after this first season yeah that was like cool it, it wasn't season two episode one it was yet yeah, chapter nine so when you see this as an anthology series in the future you can just watch it as one big go that's a hell of a thing to look forward to one day is getting to revisit this as like a whole thing to go through um so yeah this kind of picks up exactly where we left off with things at the start at the end of the first season um the mandalorian uh, are we going to call him mando or are we going to go with uh Dinjarin or whatever his I, real name is. I, I like Mando. I know it's Dinjarin, but also I love Mando as a name. Well, stick with Mando. He sticks with Mando, and at this point, the child, um, with the very simple goal of he's trying to get um, the baby Yoda 
back to uh, his people, um, which of course is a big deal in Star Wars um, because we've never seen Yoda's own planet. We've never seen anybody other than himself and Yaddle in the species in canon. Um, so that's quite an exciting setup. Um, it, I mean, again, we've already said there's going to be spoilers. We never really get there, but that's fine because I was in two minds about it. Like, do I really want to see Yoda's planet or does it, do I want to keep that a mystery? Am I happy with it being vague? Because the second you start over-explaining something, midichlorians, it loses a bit of the magic. Um, mm. So there is that. But no, instead we set up, we, we're kind of going back to formula of what we saw for a bulk of the first season of, this is the problem. Uh, a new character will come in and say, I will help you if you do this for me, which may as well be the tagline of The Mandalorian. <laughs> I can give you what you want, but you need to do this first. Um, and Mando initially... Star Wars side quests. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> that does feel what this is. Um, in this case, it's uh, a guy called Cobb Vance, uh, played by... I'm not going to get confused this time because I've got the cast list... Um, Oh, now I have to go down the cast list to find his name. Oh, I'm no. not digging you out of this all this time. Oh, no. Oh, God, no, I bragged. I bragged too much. No, I can do this. He's the guy who played the hitman. <laughs> he was literally doing the thing we do every episode. It's Timmy Oliphant. It's Timothy Oliphant, of course. There we go. Obviously. Um, Good old Timmy Elephant. <laughs> who, in the first big switch of the season, walks in in fucking Boba Fett's armour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cheeky swines. Uh, and it turns out he can help Mando, but wouldn't you know it, he needs a bit of help first. got to go kill a crate dragon. That was pretty cool. It was a really good opening episode that kind of set the stakes. It did. Um, I, I think the crate dragon was an interesting enough design. I think what I really enjoyed was that that episode is basically about trying to get a town to broker peace with Tusken Raiders. That mm. was real cool. I really enjoyed that. I did. It, it felt... See, a little bit of me was worried of like, okay, we did this in season one of kind of this, this is this week's adventure. We can do this, and there's like a, a light stringing through of the story throughout. I, I feel like this season eventually gets a bit more purpose-driven. Well, it's still taking that formula for the most part, but I, I feel like it's a bit less random. Um, but having said that, this was one of my favourite episodes of the season. Mm. Just because of... Again, easy to understand character motivation. Um, and just, it was really good to see him tactically take down this giant crate dragon. Another bit of fan service that's nice to see, because obviously we've always heard about crate dragons. There's a skeleton in New Hope that C-3PO walked past on Tatooine. But it was nice to see it in real life. I can't remember who made this point. It might have been um, the, the Weekly Planet podcast. Have you ever noticed that no one in Star Wars respects animals? Oh yeah, not a person. I mean, they they barely recognise droids as somewhat sentient. So they are just happily killing animals left, right, and centre, no matter what, um, including this massive goddamn crate dragon. Um, this is the only one that felt like this may have been shot pre-COVID nineteen because it's the mm. most expansive and outside we get in this series. I mean, obviously it's all green screen, but uh, you, you, there's kind of a. I, it, kind of became noticeable to me that we're usually dealing with quite small sets or a lot of CGI work. We're not really outside for a lot of this season. Mm. I think a lot of that is because, again, they had to downscale, obviously, and have a very close set. Um, they had complete green screen rooms set up for this. So good that I think other studios are renting them. I think Warner Brothers cut a deal so they could rent it for the Batman. 
Um, oh yeah, have you seen the the, the behind the scenes of like that? It's basically one huge projector, and it looks lifelike. It's very very good. They're animated, which means that they can do like um, cutting shots. They're having to like render several different shots. They're just literally cutting back and forth. It looks so good. I haven't seen the behind the scenes for this season. I'd get, I need to get on that. We are about to approach the week that time forgets between Christmas and New Year, so ideal time to catch up with that business. But uh, very true. Yeah, this was like I said. I I kept coming back to this one as this is one of my favourite ones. Um, it's a bit. I mean, obviously we're back on Tatooine, and it's like, oh, we're just going to be hopping to all the planets we've seen before. Um, I think this is the only one that I can think of anyway, that was like, are we going back to an old planet? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. So that's good. Um, There are like, there are planets we've heard about, but never really visited inside of a live action setting. I think this is the only one, like you say, it it takes place on Tatooine, for those who don't know, um, because obviously, Mando has heard that there is one of his kind on this planet, uh-huh. Oh, and this is where we get the Mandalorian Season 2's new trick, which is, you've activated my trap card, here's some notable cameos for you. Um, <laughs> in this one, kicking off with, oh my god, it's Boba Fett, the actual Boba Fett, yeah, played, the of course, Boba Fett. by, where is he? Do you want to do this one? It's, it's Tamora Morrison. Yeah. Got it. Uh, yeah, he's coming back, he played Django in Episode 2. And it's just nice that they bothered to keep up with the continuity of Boba being a clone. Very good timing. Uh, and yeah, he's back. He doesn't look like Boba anymore. He's battered to fuck. Um, I'm, I'm only... Again, it's kind of like the Yoda thing. Did I really want to be explained how he got out of the Sarlacc pit? Or can my brain just be okay with the fact that he did? I, I, if you're asking me, I don't care how he did it. The important thing is he did. Yeah. I mean, it's, we're, we're jumping a far ahead now, but it does seem like we're getting the Boba Fett series next year, the Book of Boba, scheduled for December 2021, so maybe they'll go into it in that one. Uh, I yeah. think the 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 uh, popular theory online is that the Crate Dragon ate the Sarlacc, and that's oh, how he got out. Like, the Crate Dragon, like, almost immediately after Boba went in, the sar the, the the great dragon ate the sarlacc because that is one of the few things that can you know one of the only predators of a sarlacc pit is a great dragon. It ate the sarlacc before it had time to digest Boba and he got it that way. Um, hence why he's scarred to fuck because the great dragon's just basically full of acid. Um, mm. It's like the alien; he just bleeds acid. Um, and yeah, he manages to get out that way. That's the prevailing theory. But you're right. Um, yeah, it was hard to top this episode. I think seeing the tactical. You know, plans. It reminded me a bit of um, Horizon, of like all the different things <laughs> they're doing to try and trap this animal, like trip wires and booby traps and bombs. Um, yeah, this was a very, very strong start for the season. I did enjoy that one of the the steps to getting this crate dragon defeated was just chuck grenades at it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who needs tactics when you've got grenades? <laughs> uh it was a really strong opener. I think that's what makes Chapter 10, The Passenger, my least favourite one of the series, because it is just not connected to anything and exists to go to a nice planet, I guess. This was the filler episode, it felt like, of... At least they got out of the way early. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. This is... Um, 
the basically he goes you know he finishes his stuff on on Tatooine he goes back to the um the mechanic lady who he always like leaves um baby Yoda with um and she's like right so and so here the frog lady she knows a, someone on her planet that she needs to go to is also a Mandalorian wouldn't you know but I, I can help you but first of all you need to get me to that planet without going into <laughs> hyperspace um cool uh and yeah so basically just the, the, those two adventures on the razor crest which gets absolutely battered throughout this, this course of this season <laughs> yeah it's very much the punching bag of this season my god it gets absolutely wrecked at least once a, once an episode something very bad happens to the razor crest it is it, not looking good by the end of it it really isn't. Well, not even by the end of it, by less than the end of the series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the Razor Quest is not having a good time. Um, but this episode it introduces the New Republic as an actual like presence, which is the only good thing I can say about the entire episode, because it does kind of drive a little bit what's what's happening, not only at the end of this season, but with future announced seasons. If you've listened mm-hmm. to... Wh- I don't know whether it's going to be last week's episode, whether it's going to be a few days ago's episode, uh, but we talked about all of the big stuff. No, it's definitely at least one week before, because we did the Star Wars stuff first. They're doing a season of Rangers of the New Republic, so there you go. And that's also taking place at the same time as um, Mandalorian. It's probably going to have Cara Dune in it. That's a good guess. Um, So that is, you know, basically trying to shove the X-Wing fighters, maybe a bit of Rogue Squadron, who knows, uh, into the Disney Plus lineup. This episode was just an excuse to have a big spider, and that's stupid. And it was just, it was the one episode where I actually didn't like the child. I don't what, know about you. Of, because of the egg eating thing. Because he's just the consistent cause of every single problem in this episode. This, Yeah, th- there was a bit of a worry at this point. As I, I, as I had going to season, I thought, right, how, what is the longevity on the child? You know what I mean? Like, Sure, it's cute, and Disney are going to want to keep it in there because, let me just, for, for just an example of how popular the child is, you cannot get a child builder bear for love nor money. No, you were saying before. Yeah, it, it doesn't exist. Um, so, yeah, this is like, well, because he can't really interact with anything, how long before he just becomes like, you know, almost like a scrappy-do of just like this annoying little thing that doesn't add anything to the plot necessarily. He's he's just the MacGuffin, but he happens to be alive. You know what I mean? He's the special, and he's the reason for doing everything you're doing, but he doesn't actually contribute much past that. This is when that worry starts to come in. I think it's ultimately unfounded. That, that's not really a problem in the long run, thankfully, over the course of this season, that he becomes a burden for most episodes. Um, but yeah, it's not his finest hour. And set off internet hate, which is always fun to deal with. Yeah, everyone's least favourite thing in the world. Um, but I, I get it. I, I did feel like in the first season, the the child is a bit more of a a reason to watch the show and a bit more of like, a, let's have a, a, a watch of the continuing adventures of the baby Yoda mm-hmm. and his big metal guardian. Yep. This season kind of balances the books a little bit. Yes, you are kind of driven by the, the mystery behind the child, but more so the reason to watch now is because of Mando's attachment to the child. And that is very much a a driving force right to the end of the season. This is the only episode where I felt like we've just got a dumb creature doing dumb creature things. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't anywhere near the 
the the the images that we got in the second episode of the first season where he stopped the mud horn with the force which like gave him impetus to be a part of this little crew yeah this one it's just it, it it's the child is act, acting more like a child which I, I should be kind of preferred it kind of isn't though i prefer it where he's he's just this ball of chaos as opposed to just a twat who likes eating everything yeah, and again, like I said, it was that this was the warning shot of like, right. I I hope there's some sense of resolution near the end of this because a third season of well, it's still just Mando and the child, and the child still, you know, in the baby Groot phase. Um, it wasn't going to last. But yeah, this looking at it, this I don't think it, there's this it's in contention for what i think is the weakest episode of the season it's still good like it was like the cgi is still impressive on the on the ice spiders um you know there's still some good character moments to be had in there um so even when this show isn't at its strongest it's still fine it's still perfectly watchable um but yeah a little bit worried but then so the the air rest chapter 11 is when i think the story really kicks into high gear of this is what we're driving towards in this season. Yeah, this is where it really picks up because it's the first of a, um, oh, here's a, another character from previous things. Hey, mm-hmm. I'm Dave Filoni. Have you met my new and interesting characters? But they're not that new because they're in the Clone Wars. Uh, this is the return of Bo-Katan, uh, played by Katie Sackhoff, as she's voiced by in the Clone Wars animated series, which is just beautiful that nice. that actually works as a as a, an animation to live action um, kind of, well, they didn't recast. That's, that's the thing. There is somebody else in this series that they've had to recast, which is debatable, but <laughs> this is not the case, which is really cool. We also got to see other Mandalorians besides Bo-Katan in this series, uh, as well as kind of learn a little bit more about the kind of the Mandalorian factions, as it were, we're kind of told in this episode that our Mando, Din Djarin is pretty much like a religious zealot which is really interesting right that was really unexpected that they're, they're like because obviously the history of mandalore is confusing at the best of times um yeah. but yet yeah, the, the fact that they've all splintered off into different ideologies of how to go about this that they are whipping their helmets off straight away no problem um is is yeah it's it's very noticeable um and I think it's a good setup for what I think we'll, we'll, what we'll go through in season three, uh, for reasons we'll get into later. I think this is where we're going to be driving towards it to make it more definitively a Mandalorian story and not a story about the child. Um, and, and that's good. There's obviously, they keep coming back to the fact of like, look, Mandalore is a wasteland. It can't be, you know, Boba Fett even says like, you know, there's no point going back there. They've basically heated up the planet so much they turned all the sand to glass. Um, to which I think it's either Mando or like um, Bo-Katan comes up and says, well, you know, everyone says all the Mandalorians are done for. Everyone said the Empire are done for, and yet there's a Stormtrooper. So, you know, shut the fuck up. Um, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. Uh, shut up, Boba, what do you know? <laughs> <laughs> you were literally in someone's stomach for like six months. So what the fuck do you know? Until um, yeah. we wreck on you, you've been dead for 40 yeah. years. <laughs> Um, this was this was a nice episode visually. It was it felt like we were going to a relatively newer planet because it was like basically it was like home to all the fishy species that we like. Mm. 
Um, so we've got Mon Calamari, we've got the Squid People. Um, I do like the repurposing of the Atats as cranes. That was quite nice. Yeah, that was really cool. It was good to see how the galaxy's kind of evolving. It's still not out of that sort of like the age of imperialism just yeah. yet, but it's managing. That's a really cool aesthetic. And I think this is the most... It's one of the strongest points about this series that it has over the uh, the new films. That Even if the new films were brilliant and fantastic, which, you know, they were still very good, but even if they were, like, everyone loving them, they don't get to have this. Because they're all, like, about the grand picture, big gestures, big things happening, this can deal with, like, the fallout for more normal people of... But, for, for example, this this isn't an ideal comparison, but... This this very much feels like the series of Daredevil we got in response to the MCU of like not every fight is about saving the universe and you know bringing balance to the force and all this good stuff good and evil clearly clashing. For most people, you know the days go by. Oh, there's a different flag flying over the city and things are a bit shittier in the Empire. Finding out how the ramifications of what they did that it wasn't just a clean cut thing at the end of Return of the Jedi of right Empire's gone. Wipe our hands of it, everything's gone. You've got a new republic still trying to find its footing and re-establish, you know, the republic of the galaxy. You've got the Empire in tatters, but still very much alive, still alive and kicking, still doing nefarious things, trying to get back to their position of power. Because, you know, they wiped out a tiny fraction of the fleet when they blew up the second Death Star. That's really interesting. That's something the films can't go into. That's why series like the... Um, you know, Range of the New Republic is going to be really interesting, just delving into the real-life ramifications for people on the ground. So and this was this episode really brought that home of just putting you in a position of, like... Because the, the big thing in this episode is, you know, the, um, the Empire have a ship. They've... Um, I can't remember why they need to get on it. Uh, let me have a quick read. Hang about, yeah. <laughs> oh, they wanted they wanted the weapons from the Imperial ship that was on this planet because they wanted the weapons in their efforts to reconquer Mandalore. That was it. That was there the one. Um, so, so that was it. Was a good episode. I really appreciated Bo-Katan coming back and the introduction of some other Mandalorians whose names I'm sure are very important to some people, but not oh, for me. Now, give me a second because I do need to talk about one of them. Um, Koska Reeves, um, played by Sasha Banks. Uh, you may not know, Sasha Banks is the current WWE Women's SmackDown champion. It's a bit of a weird thing to hear, isn't it? It is, but hear me out. This is something. This is a real quick aside. This really annoys me about wrestling, um, WWE in particular. You'd think if your champion was in the biggest TV show right now and of the year, you'd want to mention that. You'd want to mention that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Do you think it came at once? Well, you know, it doesn't sell a pay-per-view, does it? So I guess not. This is the thing, right? The WWE didn't book Sasha in The Mandalorian. The producers saw her her on Hot Ones and gave her the job based on her interactions on that show. So they set it up with her because she's (laughs) an independent... Yeah, because she's an independent contractor, she is allowed to do this. But because the WWE didn't have a hand in it... Because they're spiteful children and ran by a madman, they didn't want to promote it because they didn't do it, essentially. So they missed their chance of pushing out something really relevant and cool that might catch your casual viewers. Like, did you like whatever her name was, Cosca Reeves in The Mandalorian? Here she is wrestling. Um, 
didn't come up once. However, The Mandalorian has found its way into wrestling on NXT, the greatest wrestling brand in the world. Uh, Johnny Gagano, one of my favourite wrestlers in the world right now, has started his own group just called The Way. And they keep saying, this is The Way. And that is The Way. Because he's a massive, massive nerd. Um, so, yeah, it didn't find its way into the person who was actually in The Mandalorian, but made its way onto the third brand where they're not really paying attention. Because <laughs> that's how backwards this company is. Back to The Mandalorian. Jesus Christ. Every time I hear about this fucking company i just oh, i just wonder why people can support it please god look forward to a review of 2020 where i'm gonna have my 15 minutes talking about wrestling because it has been a shit house of a year for wrestling <laughs> they have plumbed new depths of depravity uh, and we didn't even need to mention saudi arabia i don't know how you do that but <laughs> there john, you are is johnny work rate still deleted uh, yeah, John Cena, as of as of right now, he's still currently just floating around in the negative zone with, um, uh, oh my God, why have I forgot Superman villains? Um, Zod. Yes, it's Zod and John Cena in the negative zone in a, in a weird triangle thing going, no! Um, oh yeah, oh, uh, The Fiend got murdered last night on pay-per-view. He got oh, set on fire in the middle of the ring. More on that in a few weeks' time. <laughs> Jesus Christ. More Let's on just... Randy Orton murdering a man. Um, anyway, oh. uh, The Mandalorian. Um, yeah. Chapter 12, The Siege. I, I oh, think... Actually, at the end of Chapter 11, um, Bo-Katan told Mando to go find Ahsoka Tano. Oh, cool. Ooh. Let's have Chapter 12 first, though. Uh, see, I think this might have been, for me, the, uh, uh, the other contender for the weakest episode. Of, I, I think it's better because we get to hang out with characters from the first season, and that's nice. We get to hang out with Cara June again, played by Gina Carano, uh, and Grief Carga, played by, um, of course, it's Carl Weathers, um, who I have to keep reminding everybody I thought was dead. Um, <laughs> not only not dead, he directed this episode. So he did, yeah. Um, not to bad name of Carl Weathers, um, but I think this is one of the weaker episodes just because it felt like we were treading over old ground. Mm. I don't really feel like a lot was achieved in this episode, other than finding out where they need to go to find Moff Gideon. Yeah, pretty much. That is the entire kind of impetus of this episode. However, it does have some interesting implications for the canon, because it's the reintroduction of midichlorians. Yay! They're now calling it M-Count, so that we don't have to say the word midichlorians. Yeah. And also that whole cloning the emperor business that was kind of conducive to the entirety of episode nine has a backstory now that's nice that's some nice forward planning um that we, we did see in the new films well it's um, not even forward planning it's retroactive planning god they are fixing they're just going to fix all the problems aren't they they're fixing midichlorians they're fixing oh this is fantastic work again <laughs> you think Felony and favreau are in a room right now with hayden christensen teaching him shakespeare I think so. <laughs> they must have had like there's like a big chalkboard somewhere in in um in the Lucasfilm that just has right here's everything that everyone doesn't like and here's how we're gonna fix that. Um, <laughs> Where the I solutions imagine... are the names Filoni yeah. and Favreau written yeah. underneath it. And then right in the middle, we've imagine X's over his eyes is Jar Jar. <laughs> says, this is this is the holy grail. Okay, this is the end game right here. We are gonna re- maybe not Jar Jar, but we are gonna redeem the Gungans somehow don't know how yet but we're gonna do it uh yeah so they he basically he has to fly back to um 
this planet wherever Grief Karga's in charge, the Razor Crest is, are oh, fucked. So he needs to get that fixed up. And wouldn't you know it, he'll fix the ship, but there is something Mando needs to do for him first. <laughs> um, they're trying to basically just get rid of the Empire from this planet. They've still got an outpost uh, on here. It's a scientific repo, um, uh, place, though, not like a military one. Um, and they need to get rid of it, so they do. That's the end of the episode. Yep. Bye, everybody. Anyway, so the, the kind of the, the big drive to this one is that it is just telling us why it is that the Empire want the child. That's mm-hmm. because he's got such a high M count, as we've seen, he can use the force, that it can be used for the cloning things. And we do see, like, I wouldn't call them Snokes, but there is something growing in vats. Yeah. And this time it actually feels earned. It doesn't feel like it's a fucking cop out because we get we get told by uh, what's that character name? Dr. Pershing. Yes. He comes up again later in the series. He's played by. Oh, God. Darren, help me out here. Oh, oh, I think I was near him. Hang on. Dr. Pershing was uh, Omid Abtahi. Abtahi. Yes. Cool. That guy. Um, so, yeah, that that's the kind of why we're having this entire runaround anyway yeah. because they are trying to rebuild the Sith race or at least the Emperor. They don't outright say it but just the the idea that they've got a cloning facility on an out in bumfuck nowhere planet and they desperately yeah. want to get, get to the baby Yoda, you can draw your own conclusions. Like, what else are they trying to achieve if not that? Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's a surprisingly child-light episode uh, in so much that yeah. the, the only child scenes are it eating biscuits macaroons yeah, macaroons if you will um yeah it was uh, it it didn't stay long in the memory compared to some of the episodes we have coming up i just didn't really stick with me all that much um but it was still it was still fine um it was still passable the action scenes are good the chase through the canyon um was was really well done with um because at this point mando's left he basically jetpacks off to go and save the child because they're you know they send stormtroopers after him um and you're left with all of your side characters um uh yeah Cara Dune, uh grief Karga, and the fish looking guy <laughs> the blue guy from episode one of series one him whose um, name i can't remember nope um so yeah that, that was fun it's fun to hang out with the side characters i mean these are like the best the closest we come to like the third and fourth most prominent characters in Kara and grief uh, behind Mando and the child, they're probably the ones that pop up the most. It's like seeing old friends again. It's quite nice, um, but ultimately quite pointless. I see why they're doing it though. Just real quick aside, because when people go back in like ten years' time, say, "Right, I'm going to watch all of Star Wars." If they watch The Mandalorian between Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens, then it won't seem like such a swerve out of nowhere that the Emperor's back. They'll have had the conditioning to see what that is. So yeah, retroactive fixes. So that in 10 years' time, everyone benefits. Mm, pretty Ten, much, yeah, they, yeah. We're going to get a Gungan series. It's going to happen. <laughs> oh, God, no. Because I'm, I'm currently re- I'm watching the Clone Wars for the first time. Jar Jar has turned up much more frequently than I'm okay with. <laughs> you get, like, little uh, episodes every time you appear. You're like, no, we got past this. The franchise is healing. The franchise is healing. <laughs> This is a good series, I've been told, and yet I've had four Jar Jar episodes. <laughs> That's at least four more episodes of Jar Jar than is strictly necessary. <laughs> Some would argue five more. 
Uh-huh. If we can retroactively delete an appearance of Jar Jar, we will. <laughs> right. <laughs> we now move on to the episode I was most worried about. Mm. Because it involved her. It did. It oh. involved Netflix's favourite darling. Oh, God, the most employed woman in the world. <laughs> outside of Aquafina. Yeah, outside of Aquafina. It's Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka Tano. Because if you don't know, Rosario Dawson was single-handedly trying to just infect everything that I like to watch. Uh, all she the, the Netflix series. Fury of the she Defenders. She was, yes, yes. She combined the Defenders through the pair of sex. Um, <laughs> she turned up in Zombieland 2. And it's like... Rosario Dawson's never terrible, but she's never great. And she's always given a lot more credence than you ever feel necessary for whatever show she's in. Mm. Um, so I was a bit like, ugh, I don't... And again, because I'm still not all the way through the Clone Wars and all the way through um, Rebels, I'm not as tied into Ahsoka as I maybe should be, because at the moment she's still just a little bit of an annoying Padawan. Yeah, yeah. I was in, wrong! In the early series, in the early series she is very annoying, but... Yeah. Oh my god, it gets good. It's like it's that twist in like season three or four of the Clone Wars where it stops being like a jolly kid show and starts being the horrific effects of war, but also a cartoon. Um, Fun. That's where Ahsoka really comes to herself. But yeah, you are right. She was really good. I actually actively enjoyed Rosario Dawson. Who knew that was a sentence we would have in 2020? Yeah, it was. I mean, I think my my worries were completely unfounded. She does a really good job of bringing Ahsoka to screen. Yeah, yeah, she looks the part, she sounds the part. She's got the fighting style down, thank God, for the choreography in this series in general is real good. Um, and of course, this is going to be the episode that is directed by Dave Filoni himself, because guess what? Ahsoka's kind of his baby, so that's yeah. all fine by me. The weird thing we learned, though, and this is why I said massive spoilers at the start, because I'm just going to drop it. We know the child's name now. Mm-hmm. The child's called Grogu. <laughs> I refuse to call him Grogu because it sounds like Gregor, and now all I can think about is all we do, what we do in the shadows. So now every time I see the baby Yoda, it's, there's the Baba, also Gregor. <laughs> oh, I was getting Goku vibes. Goku? <laughs> of, like... <laughs> like if like Goku, because I mean he if they do screamed both... every time it was on screen. Yeah, yeah you true. can have that. I mean it is the most super powered thing in the show, so it's not you know miles away. Um, yeah, you got me there. <laughs> I think it's one of those things like they they say it so often that it it, it thankfully lost the novelty of being a bit weird. Mm. Um, what in wrestling circles is known as the Dolph Ziggler paradox. Um, <laughs> that we don't completely accept that that man's name is Dolph Ziggler. And you don't bat an eyelid anymore. So, yeah, he kind of got there in the end that, like, yes, he's called Grogu. We get his backstory of, like, he was at the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. Uh, somebody, we don't know who, got him out before, either before or during uh, Order 66. Mm. Um, and he has basically just been passed from pillar to post ever since until Mando saved him uh, in the first season. So, good. Nice the memes backstory. that came out of this episode were so good. <laughs> Right. Where it's like Anakin sending Grogu a text like, hey, you're cool, don't come to Temple tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> or like, you know, there's that picture of like, um, it's like a possum that's like hiding in a, uh, I think it's like a, a mailbox and it's just screaming at the camera. Yeah. It's like Grogu dur during Order 66. 
It was fucking perfect. It is. It, it should have been weird that we learned the kid's name this quickly. But I think the thing that helps it along is that not only have we got an actual really good version of Ahsoka Tano on screen, but that it helps Mando to bond with him. Because yeah. you, you've kind of got the impression it happened... It was a, there was a weird scene at the start of one of the previous episodes where he's trying to tell Grogu how to rewire the ship, which seems like a terrible idea. Yeah. Um, but immediately when he starts saying his name, he listens and the bond grows and all the emotion. And it's very, very good. We've not even talked about the fact that this is basically the Seven Samurai episode yet. Yeah, basically it was... It, you know, because I think because we've been so starved of Jedi that when one finally turns up it's like oh okay this is Star Wars um, and just the, uh, the everything about this episode the, the opening shot of Ahsoka in the mist mm. of just showing you like it's always good it's like it's like when you see Neo just take on agents in the Matrix it's just reminding you of just what a single Jedi can do when they're not you know because we only really got that in the in the prequel trilogy I've seen like Jedi's at the height of their power. We're usually only ever dealing with trainees. Like there's a bit of like Lucas, like a pretty good Jedi in Return of the Jedi, but that's basically it. It's otherwise Ray not being at the height of the powers or Luke not being at the height of the powers. So it's nice to see a highly skilled Jedi just mow through people. Yeah, it's yeah, so good. The the the, the assault on the on the little like. Um, know what to call it it was like a village i guess a stronghold that's a yeah. better word for it yeah was excellently done and yeah the, the the whole build-up of this episode is is brilliant in all the breakdown of talking how it's like the perfect combination of yeah seven samurai japanese kind of you know martial arts films with westerns because we basically come down to a binary fight between guns and swords and it's dope it's so good it's so good. Also bolstered by the fact that we've got fucking Michael Bean as just this hired gun who Mando just glocks in one shot, which was dope. Um, also, we've got got a really interesting character by the name of Morgan Elsbeth in this series, mm. um, which is absolutely setting up, as we now know, for Star Wars Ahsoka, uh, because Ahsoka's after Thrawn. Thrawn's alive somehow. Which means yeah. Ezra Bridger might be alive somehow. Which means we might get live action Ezra Bridger and everything is good in the world because Rebels was the fucking tits. Uh, I will event this is the thing. All those Disney Plus announcements, I was like, my God, I need to speed up watching the Clone Wars. <laughs> yeah, it's I basically like you better have been watching the cartoons for the past eight years because we come in for you. See, I don't. Uh, hopefully, it's not that bad because I mean, like. This this episode did a really good job of it. You know, you didn't have to have watched the Clone Wars to understand who Ahsoka is. Mm. You know, to 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 you, you didn't get everything you could get out of this episode without having that context, but it didn't really matter. It was just she was presented as this is a really cool Jedi, not necessarily oh this is this character. If you haven't watched the Clone Wars and you know the pre prerequisite thirty hours worth of content you meant to watch before this, you're not going to enjoy this. And that's a really good handling of this and good precedent to set because the more they go down this tree of introducing the, um, you know, either in-canon stuff from the cartoons or more expanded universe stuff, the, you know, the, the harder it's going to be to keep people engaged because you're going to have to be dealing with, you know, casual fans of Star Wars who might have heard of Ahsoka and stuff like that. 
the complete newbies like you know both of our other halves who probably don't have all this context to go off of yep. and then the 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 real stop at home read nothing but star wars people who are going to be nitpicking it to fuck that is a very hard thing to balance out but i think this did as good a job as it could have done of kind of appealing to all three of those parties pretty much yeah in terms of like the actual composition of this series i feel like it might have been halfway through the series, but this feels like the culmination of everything that we've been trying to work into a Star Wars TV show in so much that the the limited story with the ongoing ramifications of the series, as well as being able to make every character look like a palpable threat and scaling Jedis up as much as they should be, it fucking nails it. It just does it. I think that this is pretty much objectively the best episode in the series. But it wasn't my favourite, Darren. It was not my favourite one. I, I think I know which one that is. Um, <laughs> you would be surprised because it was Chapter 14, The Tragedy. Really? It is 100% my favourite episode from this series. And I know what you're thinking. If you've seen the end of the series, how come that wasn't my favourite? Let's talk about the redemption of one Boba Fett. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> It was, I mean, because it's that, but also of like a a real jumping off point for where we end up with Grogu. So they basically put him on a phone. Uh, (laughs) He phones everyone. (laughs) He does. He does indeed phone everyone. And there's some brilliant shots of him just like being placed on top of this rock. Basically, Ahsoka in the previous episode um, tells uh, Mando, right, take Grogu, take him to this planet. You'll find a stone there on top of a hill put him on that and he will basically then go on msn messenger to all the jedi and just you know give them all nudges um (laughs) so that he plunks him on and then nothing seems to be happening mando turns to like um to see the fucking slave one appear oh god that shot that fucking shot where you just see the slave one just barreling across the sky you're like shit is going to go down no pomp no circumstance Rachel could not figure out why I was getting excited about slaves. Um, <laughs> it's a slave one. It's a slave one. She was like, what does that mean? I'm like, it's a, it's a, ah, ah. Um, and uh, yeah, so so then he turns back round and all of a sudden he's light beaming into the sky is, is old Grogu, um, which was just great. And in fact, he can't get him out. Like he's so into his MSN messenger that he's not coming out of his room. Um <laughs> And basically has to then buy time for him to finish his phone call to whoever Grogu's trying to call by, first of all, yeah, um, confronting uh, Boba Fett and Fennec Shand. Yeah. He's a returning character played by the awesome uh, Myanmar when from um, Age of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, back, but we, very much the cavalry again. Yes, answering the question of who saved her in the, uh, the season one episode she appeared in. Um, and yeah, Boba's just like, give me my armor. No, please. And then Stormtrooper turned up and said, oh, all right, well, let's deal with this. And then you can give me what I want so I can help you. <laughs> this, it works too well. It works it does. too it well. It does, doesn't it? Jesus Christ. So this episode, it's directed by Robert Rodriguez. And you can tell because it's one big gunfight. Yeah, yeah. It's the fucking tits. It's so good. What I like is that it gives 
not only does it make the stormtroopers shit as they are seem like a palpable threat in the first half of the episode it then does the impossible and makes boba fett not a six-line bitch like he was in the original trilogy Mm -hmm. he delivers the fucking best smackdown on the stormtroopers i have ever goddamn seen and it is so so worth the wait if you if you loved like the idea of Boba Fett in the original trilogy, if you are that person that watched his first appearance as a weird animation in the... Was it the holiday special that his first appearance was in? It was, yeah. If you indeed owned the Boba Fett glass set, this is the episode for you. Because it makes him cool again. It makes him good again. It gives him purpose to be in the universe outside of just, my dad was cool, don't you know? They've kind of had to put a number of retcons in, so Jango was very much a Mandalorian now. He wasn't just mm-hmm. some prick who robbed the armor, as episode two kind of implied, I guess, maybe. I don't remember the exact line, but apparently it's in there. I think it's from, I actually think it's from the Clone Wars, of someone says, oh, I knew Jango Fett, and someone goes, Jango, that well, he wasn't a Mandalorian, he was a pretender in a suit. Which I suppose kind of actually works quite well now that we know that all the Mandalorians have fractioned off. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of, it's, it's smart in that, yeah, the the previous episode that set up, there are several different ideas about what a Mandalorian should be, helps with that. But the good thing is that Boba's kind of over that anyway. He doesn't want the armour because he feels he's a true Mandalorian and has to represent his culture. He wants it back because he was his dad's. Yeah, and he does kind of, he does give that little speech about like, listen, here let me pull up the old uh, digital family tree there he is he was a mandalorian here he is on ancestry.com uh <laughs> give me my shit and fine cool i appreciate it it's just a device to get mando to actually give him his shit and when his shit is given fuck yes just it's just so good he cold cocks about 10 stormtroopers. He alone forces them to retreat. And then he rocket backpacks the ship out the sky. Ooh. Uh, it's pretty wonderful just to see. Uh, it, it's nice to see stormtrooper armor shatter. That was quite fun. Yeah. We've never seen that before. Because usually they're just shot with blasted or lightsabers. And they just get burnt a little bit. It was nice to see that basically they're just fighting in hard plastic. Um, that just gets absolutely shattered by a stick. Um, and then, yeah, he just blows <laughs> one out of the sky. Um, shortly after this, we have to say RIP to the Razor Crest. Yeah, that, I mean, the, the, the real tragedy that they're trying to get to is that uh, good old good old Moff Gideon's Robo Troopers have, um, well, shall mm. we, his gang of T-1000s were yeah, um, yeah. Uh, basic, basically stole Grogu. And that's a real tragedy. But the real tragedy is the Razor Crest got Death Starred. The real tragedy is, I'm going to get the Lego set for that for Christmas, and it's already defunct. Because uh, <laughs> now we'll have something even cooler in Season 3, and I'll have a moment to discuss, to really think if I can afford another Lego set. Well, the good news is is that that's actually going to make up for all the Lego sets you didn't buy for the sequel trilogy. So, the space is being that's filled. That's a good point. That's a very, very good point. Um, yeah, so... They they steal the baby Yoda when he gets off the phone to whoever he was on the phone to, and Django gives chase. But eventually, like even he like seems scared of the Empire still, which is odd. Um, that he basically breaks the claims like, oh my god, it's the Empire! Oh my god, it's a star destroyer abandoned ship straight away. Um, yeah, that... Probably because he's in the Slave One. Saw a star destroyer, went fuck that. This is not a one man job. Good point. Um... <laughs> 
<laughs> got the hell out of Dodge immediately. Um, so now everyone's on the slave one. Right. We're now, basically, this is the same thing happened in season one of like they are calling the banners and we are getting <laughs> we're getting as many cool people back as we can. Um, they go and get um, Cara June, um, which she's basically between the, when we see her in um, chapter 12 and this one, she has been made a um, I can't remember her official title. She's in the New Republic now. She's a marshal. That's, That's it. it. Marshal. She's a, a marshal for the New Republic. Um, and she's like, Mando comes to her like right at the end of the episodes and like he's trying to get her help and she's being like, oh no, I can't really do that. I'm a marshal now. And it literally just takes a sentence of, they've got the kid. And she's immediately grabbing that Gatling gun and we are <laughs> off to go and save the child because <laughs> everyone loves the baby Yoda. Yep. This is is this the first episode where the tried and tested thing of you have to do something for me is yeah, done? Yeah. Is this where it's I broken? Think so. I think it's the, the streak is over. Um because we get to chapter fifteen, The Believer, when it's actually Mando who has to say, Um, I can give you what you want, but you have to do something for me. Uh, because they go and get another um another character from the first season, uh that being where's his name? Uh, Miggs Mayfield, that's him, yeah. um, who was played by Bill Burr in the first season. Um, and they go and fetch him out of a prison, uh, a New Republic prison, which is a fun thing to contemplate. Um, they go and fetch him under the pretense of, you know, moving him to a different prison. Uh, but they're actually going to use his knowledge to break into an Imperial settlement on a on a planet um, so they can find out where Moff Gideon is. They have no way of tracking him otherwise, so they're basically going to have to do a stealth mission to go and get this information. Um, I, I, it was This felt like the quiet before the storm, the episode you have to have to take a little bit of a breather. Um, but it was nice. It's always good to see other perspectives within the Empire that aren't just towing the company line. And, and I think that's why that kind of redeemed Mick Mayfield a little bit from being a little bit one note when we saw him in season one to being a much more fleshed out character in this episode. Oh, they do a good job with him. Bear in mind, this is Bill fucking Burr, a man who famously slated Star Wars in one of his uh, stand-up routines. And he's immediately just one of the more interesting characters in the entire show. Yeah. So that's a that's a big ask that they managed to do that i think what they did is that what they were able to do in this episode which i really appreciated is that they were able to put reintroduce danger in a series that where we've just had jedis and just had boba fett and it's like yeah okay we've got okay ahsoka's not on this mission but we have got boba back now but even boba couldn't walk in here as a one-man army and deal with this stuff because this is a massive operation we also got to see like the effects of war on a planet where the planet aren't involved. They're not being like oppressed or they're not being blown up or they're not being recruited. The Empire doesn't give a shit about the people living on oh what planet is this? Uh Morak. Like mm-hmm. they, they, they live here, they work here, and the Empire's just moved in, and to them it's just another day and just another invasion. That was really interesting. It was. It's, again, another thing this TV show can do that the films can't have shown real-life consequences for things. Not everywhere the Empire goes is going to be bad, because then there would have been an uprising a lot sooner. Some places they come to, yes, they are stealing natural resources from this planet, but that seems to be about it. They're otherwise keeping to themselves. There's pirates still, 
but it's not really necessarily like the pirates are like freedom fighters. They are just pirates there to nick this very explosive gas, I think it is. Uh, yeah, I think some kind of fuel, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, it isn't the same stuff they were trying to get in Solo, was it? It might have been. I don't, I don't think it was, actually. I think it was completely different. So it's... Ru- <laughs> I know what it's... It probably wasn't pronounced like this, but it's written down as Rhydonium. And now all I can think about is Rhydon. So they just melted down Rhydons. Yep. It's just, it's just, uh, it's just rock. It's just bits of rocks. It's, uh, it's a Persian's worst nightmare. For the Roy Imperia. That doesn't work. No. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> rocks! Um, it basically the, the 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 three best things about this episode is we have um first of all the, the, there is a point where um mando is forced to take his helmet off mm. and this is the easing of that very rigid code he lived by as you know as a died in the war mandalorian when we first met him but seeing these new perspectives particularly from people of his own race is not the word to use but his own culture that don't stick to these principles. There's other ways of thinking about it. Sometimes it's okay to abandon your own views when it's for the greater good. Mm. Um, you didn't say the greater good, Michael. I'm very disappointed in you. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> let's run that again. Doing it for the greater good. The greater good. Lovely. Um, <laughs> it is nice. Um, we get to see him. We get to see a really nice conversation. This is what I'm talking about, about different perspectives in the Empire of... Um, uh, Migs Mayfield talking to a commander in the base um, about, you know, um, previous botched attempts of reviving the Empire through these battles and stuff where hundreds of thousands of stormtroopers were sacrificed with no gain. And the guy, you know, pulling the Empire line being like, oh, it was all worth it in the end, you know, the the Empire will rise again and they will be martyrs and they will be, you know, forever remembered. And Mick Mayfield just shoots the guy. <laughs> you can see it coming. You're like, don't, don't. Uh-huh. You're just two people in a building. And then you're like, okay, you did it, but I get it. And you're actually on Mayfield's side, which is yeah. really refreshing for a situation like that. Because normally, a bit like the child was in the second episode of this series, just the vehicle for things to go wrong. This time it was like, that was, sure, it's not great for this plan, but in terms of Mayfield's redemption from what he was in season one, that was a needed moment, especially because he does stick by Mando, even though mm-hmm. he doesn't really have to. No, he could have immediately given up um, Mando and just gone back to the Empire, basically. Um, but the third thing I really like about this, and it's part of this really subtle thing they do to make Mando more human, Um over the course of this series, where we remember where he was at the start of season one, never takes the helmet off, kind of robotic in nature. It's that when he's fighting, because obviously he's had to swap armor with, because um, you can't just walk in there in Beskar, they'll know who you are. So he swapped um, armor with like Imperial dudes so he can blend in. Mm. And you can tell all the way through the series, whenever he's in a fight scene, he's basically juggernaut. He can run into any situation because his armor will protect him. He's not scared of anybody because he's. He can reflect or blast a fire. He can get whacked, you know, pretty hard and not really do anything to him, including when he fights Ahsoka and he's just deflecting the lightsaber with his forearms. Yep. That's a hell of a thing. But because he forgets this, he just gets, he, he's expecting his armor to protect him and you see him put his arm up to stop something and then it just gets absolutely shattered. And he goes, oh shit, I'm going to have to actually do some skills here. <laughs> um, it's really subtle stuff like that they do that kind of, 
brings you to where we end up in the last episode of the most human moment from him so far of reminding that he's not like a Jedi who knows exactly what to do in all, you know, situations. He's flawed. He's not the, you know, the smartest guy in the room by any stretch of the imagination. Really subtle stuff like that that I really appreciate in a character that it can be otherwise hard to kind of get attached to because we don't see his face. He, you know, in the first, especially in the first, he was acting by a very strict sense, you know, very strict code that he lived by. It's nice to see those walls coming down and see more human aspects of him throughout the course of this season. Absolutely. And also the other weird thing, uh, they name-dropped the um, Star Wars Battlefront 2 story mode thing. Right. They name-dropped Operation Cinder. So that's canon, guys. That happened. Everything in like, that thing happened. I know we joked that J- redeeming Jar Jar would be the height of what these two are setting it to do. Redeeming Battlefront 2 would actually be the high point. That is... <laughs> That might be the line you do not cross. That is the, yeah, there's no hope for that. Uh, but yeah, that was still nice. It shows that someone somewhere is thinking of interconnectivity. Um, and that, that that's good. Um, I also like that it carries on the Star Wars tradition, that if you want to be a good shot, be a woman. Pretty much. Pretty much, be- yeah. Because the easily, easily the best sharpshooters in all of Star Wars are Princess Leia, Padme, Cara Dune and Fennec Sand because they never miss. No, they have a one hundred percent hit ratio. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and Bo Katan and Cosca Reeves, all the women in the show are just absolute like dead eyes with a gun. It's brilliant that the two bumbling men have got themselves into a situation where they're scrambling up a building, but it's okay because the two badass women are just pinging people off. It's it's ridiculous. It, it it culminates in the next episode as well, where the vast majority of Mando's strike team are women, and also all right. women that are there with different motivations for different reasons for the same cause, and they've all had character progression. It's almost like this is what Ray could have been. Right. See, so, yeah, I was going to compare it to something else. So you're right. So. Well, this is only touching on the next episode a little bit. There is a bit where um, Mando goes a separate way, and it is you are just following Cara Dune, Fennec Sand, and the two Mandalorians going through um, uh, the Moff Gideon Star Destroyer. Mm. But it came together so naturally that I think it's actually much better done than something, and here's something you might not have ever expected me to do, they did it better than the MCU did. When they had yeah. their all their women coming together in Endgame, it felt so goddamn unsubtle and ham-fisted that it just didn't work. It took you out your moment because it was like such an obvious statement of girl power. And I'm all for that if it's done like this, where it was these women all felt naturally, you know, like they'd all come to this situation naturally. It felt like they were the best team to do what they were trying to do, to basically be... You know, Operation Human Shield to like smash their way through the Star Destroyer so Mando can do his thing a bit more stealthily. It was so well done that you don't question it. It doesn't, you know, immediately come to your mind that you're watching only women being the most badass people in a TV show. That's brilliant, brilliant writing, setup, execution. Mwah. And they weren't all there because they'd been shagging the Mando a bit like Rosario Dawson was there for the Defenders. It, it exactly. was, it was, they were there for all different reasons because Bo-Katan wants the Darksaber. Cosca Reeves wants Mandalore to be, you know, reunited saved. again. Yeah. Yes, saved. Um, 
uh, Cara June is there specifically because the child is in danger. And Fennec Shand has got a debt paid to Boba Fett, who's still working for. And yet it works. It's almost like if you write characters and not <laughs> genders first, you get good characters. Thank you Christ. Know. And that's the thing. We didn't even have Ahsoka in this. There was badass women they'd left out of this that they could have added to it. So, yeah. It's, it's it's a rarity that new Star Wars material is better than new Marvel material, but there we go. Um, okay, so it's it's time. Let's talk about the rescue. Um, <laughs> yes. This is yeah. This is the uh, the Dark Knight of the Soul. We need to go and get Grogu before he's killed. Like because they, they they go and kidnap um, Doctor Pershing at the start of this, the clone guy um, from an Imperial um, ship that they also then steal so they can get into the Star Destroyer without being noticed. Basically the same plan they had to get onto the to get onto Endor in uh, Return of the Jedi. Mm. Um, but he doesn't really say what the... He said they needed the the blood of Grogu, but then I think Mando is just going to say that he just needs to get him back. They never really said, like, oh, because they planned to kill him or anything. But still, that urgency is there throughout the episode of we need to get going, we need to get the job. Yeah. Um, yeah, they fly basically directly at the Star Destroyer, saying they're being chased by Slave One. Um, you get to see Boba Fett being killed. Oh, I forgot to mention in um, what episode is it where we get to see the? Oh shit, that was in that's in the tragedy, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah, we get to see this. The, um, the no, it's the Believer. Sorry, it's the Believer. That's it. God, God, I've missed them. The sonic charges from episode two. Yep. The silence and the bwam. Um <laughs> So yeah, you get to see, basically Boba Fett only turns up for the start of it, but you don't really miss him again because they've done such a good job of getting the female cast together. Uh, yeah, they crash land into the Star Destroyer in the Stalin Imperial shuttle, and they are blasting their way through trying to get to uh, the bridge so they can take control of the ship. Meanwhile, Mando waits like five minutes, and then he's going for the child. Um... It is a brilliantly paced episode. It gives you all the payoff you need in terms of we get to see Moff Gideon fight um, uh, fight Mando, which yep. is pretty neat. Um, they do a nice swerve in making you think the Dark Troopers are out of the equation um, before they are brought back, showing you how good one is that it took everything that Mando had in the arsenal to kill it. Um, although he seems, again, very reluctant to use the big Beskar spear like immediately open with that next time (laughs) yeah that's basically what that scene is it's it's mando fighting the terminator and doesn't think to use the thing that could kill anything that's not a light the thing it's a it's a big stick that can deflect lightsabers it's probably a good weapon (laughs) just jab it in there and see what happens yeah um but yeah so that nice swerve of it took him so much to kill one what's he gonna do against 16 of them more on that in a second um, <laughs> nice stuff from Gideon of like pointing out, you know, I'll, I'll give you the child, that's fine, but you have to promise, you know, basically he's not going to be a factor anymore, take him far away, leave the ship, don't go back to the people on board. Um, we know that Mando was probably not going to do that ultimately, but obviously mm. Moff Gideon was lying to him. Um, I mean, one of, the, bit on... one of the worst oh, lies, it's like, oh, yeah, I've already got what I want. Pick him up and leave, and the second his back is turned, he just starts waffling him with the dark saber. Uh huh. There's a great bit of plotting from from Moff Gideon when we get to the bridge of the lightsaber. Basically, the the, the dark saber is like the elder wand. It has to be won in combat. You yeah. can't just hand it to people. And 
you know, that's good villainy of just he knew, you know, he had a backup plan. If he couldn't kill Mando, he can get Bo-Katan to do the job because Bo-Katan needs the Darksaber because it basically gives you the throne of Mandalore. It gives you the right to rule. Mm. Um, and she has to win it. I like that Mando is so not fussed about it. He immediately goes, I yield. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I don't want this shit. It's yours. Take it, please. I could not put into words how little of a shit I give about your glowy sword. Take it. <laughs> Take it. I've got my kid. I'm going home. <laughs> That's all I give a shit about. That, but that's worked so well for that character, though. The idea uh-huh. that he's is really not concerned with the greater machinations of of anything that the Empire is doing, anything that is coming up, especially because it basically lays the foundations. What comes in Episode Nine, Mando could not give less of a fuck. He just wants no. his ch- he just wants his baby back. That's all he wants. He does. And it's so well done. And then, and then, <laughs> and then, really annoyingly. This was spoiled for me. Oh, no. About five minutes before I went to watch the episode, I went on someone's Instagram story, and they had a picture of the bit in the lift at the end. Oh, no. So that annoyed me. But still, a single X-Wing turns up, and everyone on the screen and my fiance all went, one X-Wing. I was like, who flies one X-Wing, Rachel? <laughs> yeah, we, we, watched it, we watched Grogu get on MSN and talk to mm-hmm. all of the Jedi there's very there's little only, crossover. Yeah, there's <laughs> only so many. Like, if they would have pulled a deep, deep, deep pull and Cal Kestis has arrived, I'd be like, damn, they are going all out for these deep cuts. That would be pretty cool, actually. If, if it's like Grogu was actually on the list of the um, uh, of the remaining alive Jedi on the holocron that you get mm-hmm. in that game, and then like the Mantis turns up, you're like, oh fuck, because you've you've got Cameron Monaghan right there. You can yeah. just put him straight in the series. That would have been really cool. They don't do that. They do something far better. They do. I Real quick, I could see them if they're going with these deep pulls from the canon, especially now they met, like you said, they mentioned Battlefront 2 in this. Season 3 of The Mandalorian, if they've got that far in the video games of the Fallen Order series, I wouldn't rule out a Calcast disappearance. That'd be really cool. I would um, really like that. Fallen Order's brilliant. Especially since Ahsoka's off on her own next season. I don't think we're going to be getting the Jedi we did get in this all that often. So I feel like Cal Kestis <laughs> could be one that you could go back to. Anyway, let's not beat around the bush anymore. He's back. He's the Grand Master of the Jedi. And he looks fucking good. It's de-aged Mark Hamill. <laughs> it's it's Mark Hamill's face grafted onto... Oh, hang on. I've got the name of the chap somewhere. Who, who was playing the body double. Um, oh, no, I haven't. I've lost it. I mean... They could have saved themselves a lot of money and just put Sebastian Stan in a wig, but they right. chose not to do that. Oh, Max Lloyd-Jones was the body double for Luke Skywalker. i got to admit, I don't think that it looks that good. I think that the de-aging... I'm glad that they got Mark Hamill in to do the voice and they managed to de-age his voice. Uh-huh. That was I dope. think when he first takes the hood off and he's not talking... I think it's probably the best de-aging we've seen of, like, to that extent. Because um, obviously we had the ropey days. Easily the worst thing in Rogue One is the de-aging of, um, well, the de-aging of Carrie Fisher and just the reanimation of um, Grand Moff Tarkin, um, of Peter Cushing. It's better than those two, but that's not a particularly high bar to clear. It's when he starts talking that it kind of, it looks a little, I still think it looks fine. I still think it looks passable. Um and to be fair, I don't think there was any other way around it. You'd have to address where... If you're going to get on the phone to all the Jedis, 
it's gonna have to be Luke that turns up. Yeah, it would be Luke that turns up. He's trying to restart mm-hmm. the Jedi Order. Oh, exactly. So one of them's just got on the phone. Exactly. Um, so yeah, we get to see basically we get to see the opposite side of the coin to the bit in Rogue One, the best bit of Rogue One, yep. where Darth Vader murders a, a, a corridor full of people. This is Luke Skywalker murdering the Terminator. <laughs> it's so well choreographed, and just uh-huh. the, the way that it builds, like you say, you see the X-wing, you're like, what X-wing? And then you've got that kind of thing in your head, like, no, surely not, surely not. And then you see the black, like a robe walking through. You're like, uh-huh. are they doing this? You see his like, you see his boots first. You're like, that's Luke Skywalker. You see the black hand on the lightsaber. Yeah. It's definitely Luke Skywalker. And then you get, oh my god, he just whiffles the fuck out of them. It's so good. He I just like slices the and dices. Yeah. Them. All of the dark troopers turn on mass. To go and face the new problem, <laughs> and none of them can do a goddamn thing about it. He just mauls through them. In- they have got not a hope against it. <laughs> Initiate oh fuck protocol. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they might have might as well have done what Jack Five does at the start of Tekken Five of just blow up. That's probably your best chance. <laughs> blow up the ship, send him into space. You might be good. It didn't kill HOE. It probably wouldn't have killed Luke Skywalker, but it's probably their best bet was just to go kamikaze at that point. But yeah, he wipes for everyone. He, he he gets in the control room and he basically lays out the plan of like, look, I'm the Grand Master of the Jedi. It's time he comes and bees with his own people, essentially. I really um, wish they'd have got him to say, just so, like some kind of more grown up version of my name is Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. That would have been dope. Oh. See, I, I I thought they were giving up something because then we get the other cameo, which I, you know, being the <laughs> guy that I am, I watched this whilst wearing an R two D two T shirt with an R two D two pop up thing on the back of my phone. Uh, R two rolls in and gives a little beepity beepity beep to Grogu. I thought they were going to do because you know R two D two is basically the world's most expensive and elaborate projector. I thought they were going to have him project Yoda. Yeah, I thought they were heading that way as well. Especially because even the camera layout, I'm like, they're leaving a lot of, like, empty space between the two for Ardu just to project Yoda saying something. Um, like, you know, some previous clip would have probably been quite nice for the, you know, resident here. Um, mm. But they didn't go down that route. Um, but, the, oh, it's, it's, it, they slowly over the series, they've been stripping away more of the Mandalorian code, making Din Djarin a bit more human. And this is the climax of that, of him taking the helmet off, not in floods of tears, but quite clearly crying, yeah. but still holding it together to tell Grogu, don't be afraid, you, this is where you're meant to be, and I will find you one day. Oh, oh. It was a beautiful scene. It was so good. Uh, if this is the, we know this isn't the end of The Mandalorian, because season yeah. three has been commissioned. If we didn't know there was any more coming... And it was like, yeah, we're making all these different shows, but the Mandalorian story ends here. Mm-hmm. I think I'd be happy with it. Same. I, I I think they've set up enough stuff to make season three interesting. I think we'll talk about that in a sec. But you're right. I feel like this was the natural end. We achieved the mission. 
we got Grogu. Yes, we didn't get him back to his people, metaphorically his species, but we got him back to, you know, sorry, we didn't get him back to his literal people, but we got him back to the closest thing. He's with the Jedi now. He's going to go away to the temple and train and all that good business. It's the best outcome they could have had for the child. Mm. So that's pretty dope. Um, yeah, the fact he's so upset about things, you know, that he had that connection with him. And there's still the question mark that Ahsoka brings up in her episode of, like, he has grown too attached to you. And all the really, really subtle callbacks to, obviously, she knows what happens when a very strong Jedi becomes overly attached to someone else. She yeah. knows the slide that can fucking go down. Um, and I like that they didn't ham-fist that again. They didn't over-egg the point that she's talking about Anakin, because we don't fucking know that. Um, but... Yeah, it's so that still gives options for... Now, I don't think they will do a Grogu series. That seems pointless. At least Grogu as he is now. Because obviously, you're not getting Mark Hamill and de-aging him for every episode. Um, no. <laughs> there's a bit of a finite end to where that storyline can go. Um, but it at least sets up like, well, when he's away in, episode, in season three... It'll be interesting to whenever we reconnect with him, because of course we will, think of the money. Um, it'll be nice to see where he has, you know, got to in his Jedi training. Will he be able to finally start speaking? That'd be quite nice. Um, see, we leave things off with a lot of interesting things uh, for season three. Oh, sorry, I forgot about the post credit scene. <laughs> yep, the true marvelification of uh, Star Wars has come full circle. We've got post credit scenes that set up cool and interesting things. Um, we go back to Jabba's palace. Yep. Bip. Bib Fortuna has been on the Jabba diet. <laughs> that was such a weird thing to bring back. They even got like the guy who last played him back as well. Really? Yeah, genuinely. I think it's Matthew Wood who played him because right. Bib Fortuna showed up in the prequel trilogy, I want to say. Um, yeah, he's in a bit of Tatooine when uh, Django's looking at the uh, pod race. That's it, yeah. Not Django, uh, when Jabba's looking at the pod race. Yeah, that's the one. So he's they got him back. And then, uh, then Boba Colcock's in. Yep, just murders everyone in sight. <laughs> uh, basically, it's just, it's a replay of of Luke entering Jabba's palace in Return of the Jedi, but with more shooty action. This time, we're on Boba Fett's side. Um, he sits in the throne. Um, Fennec Sand sits on the arm of it, and then boom, the Book of Boba, December 2021. We're not getting season three of The Mandalorian. It would seem next season. Uh, and there was a bit of speculation, like, is that the name of season three of The Mandalorian? And it'll just be, you know, it'll still have Mando in it, but it'll be called The Book of Robert. No, no, no. Separate thing altogether. Um, we're getting that. That's, that's interesting. I don't know what the story is, but I'm excited to find out. You've got to think the f it's it's either going to be the first half of it is how I, how I learned to stop worrying and love the Sarlacc pit. Um, yeah. And then the rest of it is the rise of boba the hut i guess or it is just entirely Bo boba fett uh making billy big bollocks moves in the um in the hut trade with some flashbacks peppered in see, but they're gonna have to explain what the fuck happened they are i do, see i don't know if it goes that way because where we find boba fett is he's basically like because obviously they want to make him a good guy for the purposes of this season and because the you know, fans really like boba i don't know if he's going to become like crime syndicate boss i have this more of like there's red in his red in his ledger and he's gonna wipe it out this is the redemption of boba he's literally got a book 
of here's all the people who wronged me, here's all the you know stains on the universe, <laughs> and I'm gonna wipe them off one by one by one. If, if the last episode isn't him trying to like kill Darth Vader, then something's gone wrong. Darth Vader's dead. Oh yeah, well maybe he tries to find Darth Vader, like kill the ghost. Yeah, kill the ghost. It's the, the final episode is him like plummeting down a like a shaft. Yeah. Like I'll fucking find the Emperor. I know he's here somewhere. Uh, that would be really good. That's 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 an interesting. He's basically like Arya Stark. He's got a list and he's crossing them off one by one. That's good. Um, yeah. So. Um, well, where we stand with season three, it seems like the the main crux of the story, I think, will be reclaiming Mandalore. Like I said earlier, it's going to transition less into a Mando and the child storyline and into reclaiming your planet. Yeah, surely, because right now Din Djarin hasn't got anything else to do. No. He's a free agent again. He's helped the child. I just wonder how long he'll be able to get into like the siege of Mandalore before he's like, nope, I gotta go and get my Baba from uh, from Luke Skywalker. See, I I hope that that doesn't factor in. Like I, I, I said this the other day, I don't want these to be like an Agents of Shield thing where they become an annual tradition. There's it runs for like eight or nine series. It will eventually run out of steam. I think a third season is your absolute cap of what you want from these limited run series i think tell the story you you set out to tell and end it don't drag it out because it's popular you've got plenty more star wars stuff to keep people interested and you can basically do what you did in this season we had a soft pilot for the um the uh rangers of the republic we had a soft well not even a soft pilot we had a straight up pilot for the ahsoka tano series um the entire season was a soft launch for the book of boba do that and have the Mandalorian then wrap up in season three. It's preserved as a, hopefully, season three is as good as the last two, as a perfect little series, and you're done. I think reclaiming Mandalore feels like big enough stakes to end things on. Um, plus, there will obviously come a point in season three when the child comes back, and can you imagine the pop, Michael? The pop's going to be real big. And moreover, they've they've left the, the, the thing dangling of, right now... Din Djarin is is like the emperor of Mandalore. Like he yeah. uh, he's got the dark saber. He's won it fair and square. He owns the planet. Like he can go mm-hmm. back and start immediately ruling. So I I wouldn't be surprised if we're going to get some like Game of Thrones style shit with Bo-Katan. That'll be very interesting. That would. I think that's the only reason you bring Bo-Katan into this because there was other ways they could have got Mando to Ahsoka. So I feel like that's 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 been put in there for a reason. We're getting heavy, heavy Mandalorian stuff for the third season, and that's that's good. I mean, they they it was a prominent part of the last few episodes of the Clone Wars, from what I read and what I've seen. So it's it's they're making it a bigger part of the canon so that they can do that for season three. Um, I think if the child is going to get a spin-off, if Grogu is going to get a spin-off, I actually like an idea I saw somewhere else where you age him up to Yoda's age right. and you have it set massively far forward in the future with Grogu as like, you know, the the head of the Jedi at that point. And I saw a great piece of concept art that was basically Yoda, but with the, um, with Mando's shoulder pad. Um, and he's got the, the ball from the gear stick in the razor crest, like around his neck on a necklace. 
And I was like, that's what you do. You do Yoda, but with a bit more of an edge to him. Like, he's not like a monk. He's like a bit more of a badass, you know. He doesn't necessarily have to be a Jedi. He could have, because Ahsoka said, like, maybe don't make him a Jedi. Maybe let him live his life elsewhere. The bounty hunting Yoda, like bounty hunting Grogu, I'd watch the shit out of that. I would be very interested, especially if he ends up moving like Yoda does when he's got a lightsaber in his hand. Exactly. I feel like there's they're going to hit the wall sooner rather than later of what they can do with the child version of him. I think we, the next time we see him, he has to be aged up to some extent. Maybe not Yoda's age, like he's at 900, but like a 200-year-old, you know, teenage Grogu mm. going on bounty hunter missions. Fucking watch the shit out of that. That sounds good. We've really only seen the polarizing sides of the Yoda race in mm. terms of age. We've only ever seen them being a literal baby or ancient as fuck with no in-between. So that would be nice to see. Um, now, obviously, there's the big question that how, well, we don't know if it will get answered is, well, we all know what happened with Kylo Ren and, you know, the, the Jedi temple that Luke was setting up. Is Grogu dead? <laughs> if we've if we already watched Grogu burning to death, that would have been quite, quite <laughs> upsetting, to say the least. No, no, no. What's going to save Grogu is the same thing that saves all these characters. Money. Um, they are not going to be letting go of that cash care anytime soon. So, uh, yeah, I can tell you now, he didn't die at the hands of Kylo Ren. Um, he he got out of that somewhere as well. There's also the lingering question of who saved him from Order 66. So maybe that's why they're setting up for a, a full Grogu series. I mean, the budget on that one would have to be pretty high because I imagine the CGI would have to be... Uh, through the roof to have him be main character but alas it's still something i think i'd like to say you've got to think the, about the one who saves him and obviously they're not going to do anything like obi-wan or anything like that but if they um, are bringing stuff from clone wars and rebels into the series is it gonna be kane and jarrus maybe i mean that's a strong possibility um I, I, I think some people say it might have been the librarian from Attack of the Clones. I'm like, eh, she's not all that interesting. Um, we'll have to see that there's plenty of options out there, all of them interesting. And this is what I mean. This is the hallmark of a good series. That not only am I excited for season three of this, I'm excited for everything else that was set up within it. That's that's the hallmark of a, a great series. Um, so, the big question, is this better than season one? Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in in terms of like the pop, in terms of the marvel marvelification, as I'm now going to call yeah. it, yeah, absolutely it is. I feel like one was definitely a lot more focused, and that kind of that problem of the week really worked for it. And I feel mm. like I feel like season one actually had might have had the best individual episodes, in that they were yeah. broken up and segmented quite nicely, and they worked a lot better. And I feel like I actually remember more of the the in and out details from the individual episodes from season one. So like the the, the the last time we saw Miggs Mayfield, for example, that episode was so fucking good, but it neither yeah. impacted the episode before it nor after it. Yeah. This one feels far more sequential, far more like it's driving towards an actual plot resolution. And for that, it made me excited. I was always excited to watch it week to week, but I was like, especially the last, like episodes five through eight it was like fuck i want to watch the next one right the hell now like mm-hmm. it was just it was just hit after hit after hit with the bat- bottom half of this series i think that 
basically gives it the edge. I think the lowers the lowers might be a little bit lower, but the highs are far more astronomical. See, I'm on the fence. I'm under basically because it's splitting hairs. They're both excellent. It's just really prefer that real tight knit feel that the first one had, or the more extensive feel that we had with the second one. Um, I feel like because obviously be saying like, oh, I can help you, but you have to help me. I think is a lot more prevalent in this season, but that's probably because it was quite prevalent in the first season, but it was all shiny and new then. You're not paying as much attention to you know, stuff like that. Um, I think I'll need to sit on it again, but again, I don't think it'll matter in the end because the chapter numbers go straight from eight to nine. Season one and season two are going to be basically alien concepts when you come back to watch it. You're just going to watch it as a whole. There's nothing that de- demarcates this as a entirely separate thing from the first season especially for the uk Um, audience who had season one and season two this year unlike me the pirate that i am i watched season one last year so you know whacker uh yeah (laughs) could not give this more of a recommendation it was brilliant there's two weak episodes but that is weak on a very sliding scale there they are still fantastic ways to spend time um i also appreciate some of these episodes were just half an hour and i'd set aside an hour and that was quite nice of going oh there's a little present for you um (laughs) i only ever get this with wrestling when i'm expecting them to be four hours long and they end up being three hours long and somehow that's seen as like a yeah wrestlemania only going only going five hours this year was a blessing for example (laughs) we we actually forgot the inclusion of the best new character of admiral jeff blue jeans Oh, yeah. <laughs> the fact that he had a page on Wikipedia and then they had to <laughs> they had to re-edit the shot and re-upload the episode so that people would stop talking about Admiral Jeff Blue Jeans. Oh. oh they didn't God. do that with Game of Thrones. I left the coffee cup in. I felt they could have... Uh, anyway. Um, great. Right, it was nice to have new stuff to talk about on a Popscorn episode. It was. Um, because I'm, I'm telling you now... It's the worst top ten movie list you have ever seen in your life in a few weeks' time. Yeah, it's been a pretty barren, barren year when it comes to films. TV, less so. I feel like TV was a bit more of a close-fought race this year. Yep, 100%. Um, This is definitely in the running for that. But uh, yeah, you'll have to find out all of that on our upcoming review of 2015, when we're going to talk you through the best TV, video games, movies of the year uh we usually do movies separately i don't know if that's necessary this year because we're going to be a lot faster talking about them yeah yeah it's going to be one of them um but you know we're going to we're going to strive to uh, go ahead with all of our regular end of year activities so you will you'll still get your top 10 movies of the year you'll still get your best of everything else i played a lot of games darren and i've got a lot to play over christmas as i've told you (laughs) You showed me your list, and I was like, you are a madman. I am still not done with Valhalla by a long shot. That is a long game if you're playing it to the extent I am. I realise I think I've just gone over the halfway point, and I'm now 53 hours in. Wow. Jesus. Yeah, I don't think I'm getting that done before New Year. I, I cannot see that happening for love and money. Um, it's it's good. That's, that's the good news. I'm not just paying it out of, you know, well, I paid money for this now. Um, I'm also down a game, but more on that later. Yeah, that's going to have to be something we talk about at the end of the year. Um, but yeah, I, I've, I've picked up Last of Us 2, I've picked up Crash, I've picked up Immortals Phoenix Rising because my new job decided to buy it for me. 
in Sweden. Yeah, real interesting. Uh, and of course, Cyberpunk 2077. Um, still haven't finished Demon Souls. Um, I have finished Miles Morales, which is good. But I'm going to New Game Plus it. So, yeah. We'll see how that goes. It's, uh, I've had, I'm going to have a very, very busy end of the year. Uh, but thank God, to be honest, because it's nice to know that stuff <laughs> keeps coming that we can talk about and make more content about. Yeah. That would be We've real nice. Still got a new film. Soul is coming out in four days' time. So we will have... I don't know if it's going to trouble a top ten, but if it's it, it doesn't need to be a brilliant Pixar movie to trouble a top ten this year. So it just needs to be better it. than Onward, which is a film we were pretty cold cold about anyway. Yes, so, it yeah. does. All of that coming up, and the preview of everything to fingers fucking crossed come in 2021 <laughs> is all coming up for you in the next few weeks. It is, but until then, you can go and find me on Twitter and Instagram at thatmyco, and you can go and find Darren on Twitter and Instagram at thegutridge. You can go and follow the site on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under the username FowleyNT. That's F-O-U-L-E-N-T. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you can pick up an RSS feed under the username FowleyNT, or FowleyNT Podcast, depending on the service you're using. And, of course, go to foulentertainment.com for all the year-end stuff, because we're finally there, people. It's going to be a good Christmas present for everybody to read our opinions, I guess. It's just nice to, to be able to talk about things that happened this year because it's felt like a never-ending nightmare. And finally, the resolution is coming. Bye, everybody! Bye! Bye!